Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it I was thinking last night about the opportunities that are presented in the political realm. And basically what I concluded is that the GOP has an opportunity to rule for the next 100 years if they see fit. And the terrible irony of it is that what they need to do is extraordinarily simple, and yet the odds of them doing it is virtually nil. So this is my plea to the more conservative-leaning uh, audience members or listeners of mine to make sure that you vocalize this, that we try and drive home the idea or the fact that what this country is desperately lacking in is not so much GOP candidates that run on a platform of libertarian ideals or valuing the Bill of Rights, because they do that pretty regularly, but rather governing in that fashion. And I think what, what also inspired this topic was Mark Victor, who was the libertarian candidate in Arizona for Senate, who stepped down and endorsed, to much dismay from the LP, old guard, he endorsed Blake Masters, and it looks as if Blake will likely defeat Mark Kelly because of doing so, because it's a very close race. So in effect, the LP, or at least a single libertarian, has the chance of tilting the power in the Senate. It looks like it's a foregone conclusion that the Republicans will take the House. So because of Mark Victor's decision, it looks like there's a really high probability that the Senate will also go 51 or 52 uh, seats to the GOP, which would mean that they would have both houses of you know, Congress, but not the presidency, which is tends to be a good uh, balance of power, particularly when you have a really, really bad president, <laughs> which we do. So it gives me a lot of, it gives me some hope. Not, not a lot. I shouldn't say a lot, but it gives me some hope that they may be able to slow our, what has been a very rapid decline into totalitarianism. But I wanted to lay out the case more or less why I think that libertarianism is what the world needs right now. And because I'm an American and I'm speaking to a largely American audience, even though I do have many foreign listeners and hello across the pond, I think that I wanted to focus on you know, what, what can be done on the American political landscape and why libertarianism is so desperately needed right now. To, for those that aren't familiar with libertarianism and, and our history of advocacy, I'll lay out a few bullet points as to why I think you should take us seriously. I could go back much further, but let's start with 9-11 because I think that that kind of serves as a good demarcation point from which the idea of America and freedom and valuing the Bill of Rights was left in the dustbin of history. We just kind of gave up on it. All it took was a couple planes into some buildings and all of a sudden no one cared about the Bill of Rights anymore. So let's start there. The Patriot Act. Who, whom was it that vocalized our deep-seated concerns for what that would mean for the American people. 
because if you were if you recall, the Patriot Act was floated obviously as a tool by which we could go out and get the terrorists, the people that hurt us on 9-11, which from a very basic viewing is logical. You're like, okay, this it wasn't a nation state that attacked us, so we're going to have to have some new tools because we're not going to be able to just go declare war on someone, even though we did. Uh, and these are the tools that we need. And naming, naming it the Patriot Act, just perfect Orwellian touch on top of it. Because it was very patriotic to go and avenge our 3,000 innocents that were lost on that day. The libertarians, on the other hand, read it, which is also a rare thing to do. And we concluded very, very early on, Ron Paul and a handful of others that are our spokespeople, so to speak. But amongst the base, it was pretty widely accepted that this is not a good idea. Like Even if we want vengeance, which I think was a totally reasonable human reaction. We need to be very cautious about the powers that we give to the government because as in all prior instances, you give the government the power to abuse someone across the pond and not too much into the future, they'll start using it against you. And thanks to Edward Snowden and Julian Assange and a handful of other leakers, we got to discover that, in fact, the Patriot Act was turned up, uh, against the American people very, very rapidly. And we had massive surveillance apparatus that was being used against millions and millions of Americans because of their tangential relationships to people overseas, foreigners. So that was kind of the first example of where libertarians were both ignored and proven right pretty quickly. There's a, a litany of other examples, so I'm going to give you a few. Lest we forget the real estate and just general financial collapse of 2008, which who else was predicting and warning about years prior, other than the great Ron Paul. But more specifically, anyone with any understanding of Austrian economics. So I think that that is really the, the difference, is that deep mistrust of government, as well as an understanding of economics, which is not shared by our quote-unquote intellectual elites. Let's hear what Ron Paul had to say all the way back in 2001, when he was prescient with his warnings about how and why there would be a real estate bubble and then collapse. When financial conditions warrant, Leaving financial instruments such as paper assets and looking for hard assets such as houses is commonplace and is not a new phenomenon. Instead of the newly inflated money being directed toward the stock market, it now finds its way into the rapidly expanding real estate bubble. This too will burst as all bubbles do. The Fed, the Congress, or even foreign investors can't prevent the collapse of this bubble any more than the incestuous Japanese banks were able to keep the Japanese miracle of the 1980s going forever. Concerned Federal Reserve economists are struggling to understand how the wealth effect of the stock market and real estate bubbles affect economic activity and consumer spending. It should be no mystery, but it would be too much to expect the Fed to look to itself and its monetary policy for an explanation and assume responsibility for engineering the entire financial mess we're in. 
a major problem still remains. Ultimately, the market determines all values, including all currencies. With the current direction of the dollar certainly downward, the day of reckoning is fast approaching. A weak dollar will prompt dumping of GSE securities before treasuries, despite the treasuries and the Fed's attempt to equate them with government securities. This will threaten the whole GSE system of finance because the challenge to the dollar and the GSEs will hit just when the housing market turns down and defaults rise. Also, a major accident can occur in the derivatives market where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are deeply involved in hedging their interest rate bets. Rising interest rates that are inherent with a weak currency will worsen the crisis. The weakening dollar will usher in an age of challenge to the world, whole worldwide financial system. The dollar has been the linchpin of economic activity and a severe downturn in its value will not go unnoticed and will compound the already weakening economies of the world. More monetary inflation, even if, a concerted, if, even if it's a concerted worldwide effort, cannot solve the approaching crisis. The coming crisis will result from fiat money and, the mon and monetary inflation. More of the same cannot be the solution. So was he psychic or did he just understand Austrian economics? I would say it's the latter. We're not psychic. We just have a different lens by which we view the world. And once you understand it, you can do the same. And I think that's largely why I've been successful as a money manager myself. And let me also extrapolate on Ron, the great Ron Paul's point, which I will say, I think he was wrong, but only about the timing. Obviously, in that clip, he's on the House floor and he's warning about the coming real estate bubble and collapse. And, you know, you could say that he was early by seven years. But in reality, what I think he was early on was that the central banks did have enough tools in their tool belt in order to paper over that collapse. I will argue that Ron was actually about 20 years early and that they don't have the tools in their tool belt to deal with this next coming collapse, which is why the Federal Reserve has been hiking interest rates as aggressively as they have, because they know it too. And we don't have much time left for the political class to grasp what we're talking about. We need people in there that understand what I'm warning of, because the next collapse, there's a very, there's a much higher probability that they cannot paper it over. That if they try to paper it over, your paper money will turn to dust. Not much time left, folks. Get on board. I think that the the lockdowns and the, the very concept of allowing your government to lock you down. I don't recall anybody of any political stripe other than libertarians very vocally opposing it immediately. Thankfully, we've been proven right very, very quickly on that one. And unfortunately, it wasn't every libertarian. And, and for the record, not every libertarian opposed the Patriot Act either. I think the vast, vast majority did, but not every, I'm sure. And I'm also not trying to say that libertarians are omnipotent and that we are all-knowing. Uh, there are other people of different political labels these, that, that 
saw what we saw and warned against the Patriot Act. Uh, on the left, there were some really good folks that did that. There was some uh, good conservatives that also identified that it was a violation of our Constitution and it should not be allowed. So, I'm. But the the tie that binds is that very rarely do you see someone getting all of these things that I'm going to list off right early consistently if they're not a libertarian. That's kind of the tie that binds there is that being right, not in hindsight, but in the moment, that's, that's where it really matters because if it, every new tyrannical plan that gets rolled out against us is highly, the American people in particular are highly propagandized to accept it. So I think the reason that libertarians get these things right, other than the fact that they have some underlying principles, uh, kind of a guiding light in front of them that makes them immediately look to, hey, does this, is this in alignment with my belief system? But perhaps even more importantly, because of our skepticism when it comes to government, because of our, I don't think it's too overstated to say, because of our hatred of government, <laughs> we, we are very skeptical whenever they say, hey, we need more power for any reason no matter how seemingly justifiable it could be, our knee-jerk reaction is, hold on, what? Wait a second. And I don't think that most people do that because most people in this country and in the on the planet more broadly, they trust government. Even those that are skeptical or they say, oh, I want to keep the government small. Well, if you want it to be small, you still kind of trust it. I mean, even if you go, oh, well, I only want it for the military. Well, that's a pretty important thing, right? So you do trust the government. You're trusting it with national defense. That's very important, actually. So because libertarians are like, or the more anarchist variety of libertarians in particular, don't trust the government with anything, we are able to see through propaganda very, very rapidly. And I think that's a, an asset like, even if we're wrong, say there is something that the government needs to do in a crisis situation that we go, hey, hold on, and then they do it anyways, and it ends up preventing a crisis. Well, it, the, the value of being skeptical of the government is, is there regardless. Like, regardless of the outcome, it's still to the benefit of society to have the libertarian standing anthwart history saying, hold on, slow down, wait. Let's reconsider. Let's think this. Let's think this thing through. And the propaganda that we are, that we faced with COVID, was, in my opinion, as extreme, if not more extreme, than what happened after 9/11 and their justifications to allow for the Patriot Act, uh, the DHS, NSA, the spying apparatus. That was kind of a trial run, and then it got extraordinary during COVID, where. I don't think that there was like censorship to the extent that there was against the anti-war activists, say, in the early 2000s, as there was with people that were hesitant to support, you know, governors locking you in your home and closing your business and your church and uh, blah, 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 you know, it goes on and on. So it took, it took someone with not just deep-seated principles of liberty, but also tremendous skepticism towards the government to be able to see through that almost instantly. And I think that's what we need because we are dealing with an increasingly tyrannical and totalitarian style of governance and a fascistic one at that, which I'll 
explain later on. So what I would like to see is I would like to see GOP candidates obviously run on libertarian talking points because what I think gets missed in all this is that libertarianism is extremely appealing. The label, not so much, but the rhetoric, very appealing, especially the Ron Paul populist right-leaning, quote-unquote, libertarianism is very appealing and very palatable to the voters. So you see that very often. I mean, Blake Masters is utilizing some of it right now, and it looks like he's probably going to win. And the entire MAGA, or the Mega MAGA, the new, the new wing of the Republican Party, I don't, you haven't heard me, you know, talk much shit about. I think that they've been doing, from my view, a much, uh, not, I wouldn't say a great job, but certainly a better job than in the other politicians that rule over us today. So why would I focus my energy on them, right? Well, the reason that they're better is because I think that they actually value liberty to some extent. What a novel concept. A handful of politicians that value a little bit of liberty. Well, I think that what the American electorate is yearning for is not politicians that just give it lip service, but those that actually go and wreak havoc on behalf of their cause, that are willing to actually fight tooth and nail, that are willing to do some, I don't want to say extreme because that'll get taken out of context, but, you know, I guess extremism isn't so much a vice in pursuit of liberty, is it? I mean, it's a, the most virtuous cause. So I think that getting some politicians that actually pursue, not just rhetorically, but in action, some really extreme reclaiming or recl reclamation projects when it comes to liberty is what this country needs. And it has some bipartisan support. I think that's the thing that perhaps the GOP is missing. Just as the Democrat Party has now lost many of the Hispanic voters, for instance, and now a significant portion of the African-American community as well. It's because the left is horrific. They're awful. You have an opportunity in that time where you can just play it safe and play it on the margins and pick up enough support to barely beat your opposition or you can realize that because the left is so horrifically terrible right now that you can actually swing for the fences and i think that you would get far more support if you were to do so look at marjorie taylor green i think she's a great example she's someone who is very outspoken and she is reviled by the left and the media specifically, and the, obviously the opposing political class. But the reason she's so beloved by her, her base and the GOP, like the real GOP voters, in my opinion, is because she is pursuing, kind of with reckless abandon, some reclamation projects on behalf of liberty. Now, not, not as far as I would like to see her go and not as not specifically on every issue, no doubt, but she is doing pretty damn good. And her success, even with opposition from the media, is predicated on her fulfilling her promises to that base, not just rhetorically, but in action, in governance, 
And I think that if you if you can mirror that or utilize what she's doing, you have an opportunity to perhaps save the Republic. If you can keep it, as Ben Franklin once said. And at this point, we are not going to keep it. In fact, we're extraordinarily close to losing it. It's ironic because the Democrats consistently talk about how democracy is on the ballot, as opposed to the ballot being literal democracy. I mean, that, anyways, I, I find that completely perplexing. But you don't hear the GOP talking about the Republic being on the ballot. And as a libertarian who values the Republic much more than I do democracy, I find it infuriating that they aren't using that rhetoric. I think it would be extraordinarily appealing to their base because the Republicans value the Republic. And I don't know if that's where their names actually originate from, but I guess probably so now that I think about it, that the Democrats value democracy, the Republicans value the Republic. And, uh, and I would like to see them actually operate in a fashion that can reclaim and defend the Republic and states' rights because they haven't done a very good job at it. And I think that to bolster my case, I would point to Donald Trump. Well, rhetorically, he got in on a populist, you know, defend the Bill of Rights type message. He didn't govern that way to the extent that I would like to have seen. And I think that almost every single one of his failings that I can list, other than, you know, filling his cabinet with people that were scumbags and backstabbers, was that he didn't actually deliver on the libertarian rhetoric that he ran on. And I think that he would have won his election had he done so. Had he actually ended the wars. Had he actually balanced the budget. Had he not spend, spent like a lunatic. Had he actually stood up for the Bill of Rights when it came to lockdowns and the concept of lockdowns themselves. Basically every, in my view, and I think most people view him this way, Every failing that Donald Trump had was a product of him getting away from libertarian rhetoric in action. And I hope that that message is being felt as opposed to just kind of a, a footnote to the Trump presidency. Like, if you're going to run on a pro-freedom platform, you're going to be hated and dragged relentlessly by the cathedral. The media specifically. And the only way that you can win is appealing to the people that value liberty. Because you can get the libertarian vote. It's it's available to you. And because the margins are so small between the duopoly candidates, we're talking two or three percent in the vast majority of races. Well, libertarians, they vote three or four percent, five percent, six percent of the ballot usually. So we can be the difference, but you can't just give us lip service. One aspect of being very skeptical of government is that we don't trust you motherfuckers. <laughs> Rightfully so. And the only way you can prove us wrong and get our support is to deliver on your promises of defending and fighting for liberty. I don't mean abroad, neocons. I mean domestically against our own government. And you have an opportunity to do so 
by demonstrating that you're serious by actually writing and getting votes on abolishing the FBI, for instance, the IRS, DHS, the Federal Reserve. How many, how many things do we have to be right about before you consider doing what we actually talk about? Honest question. I would love an answer. And I know, I know that the campaign contributions are predicated on you delivering for your corporate donors. I know that. But because you are running in opposition to tyranny and in opposition to the kleptocratic, fascistic entity that we're up against, you're going to be hated by the corporate class regardless because they're going to know that you aren't going to play ball. So the only way that you can actually attain power is to run on a truly radical liberty platform. That's the only way. Otherwise, you have to lie to get in there. And if you lie to get in there, then you don't have my trust, in which case I can't vote for you. So I think that the best platform to run on is I am in opposition to all of this. Everything you hate, I oppose it. And not rhetorically, but legitimately. I despise it just as much as you do. Good Ron DeSantis. The way he talks, I mean, same thing that Trump does, but Ron actually seems to walk the walk a lot more than, than Trump did. And I think that DeSantis is now you know, a 50-50 contender in 2024 because of it. Because what conservatives and libertarians want to see is someone who defends our liberty for real, not in rhetoric. Trump did a good job in rhetoric, not so great in, in reality. DeSantis did a better job in reality, and for that, he's beloved. There's a lesson there. So, if you know that you're going to be hated by the entire electoral machine, but the, the voters themselves will see you in a favorable light for saying, I am running against all of these people. They're all against me. I get no corporate donors. You can crowdfund my campaign. Kind of a Bernie Sanders of the libertarian right type candidacy. I don't see how you fail, honestly. And I don't see how we succeed as a nation or as a people or as a civilization if you don't do it. So set aside your political aspirations and just ask yourself on a moral level, can you not do what I'm saying? Can you look yourself in the mirror as the currency dies and World War III is foisted upon us because you failed in this moment? Sincerely. Ask yourself that. And then decide. Do you want to play ball and not get anything done and also potentially lose because you're not running in this fashion? Or do you want to say, fuck it, I actually value liberty and I'm going to go get it for you, on behalf of you, my constituents, the people I allegedly represent anyways? I think we have an opportunity here, honestly. I think that there's a greater opportunity for someone who comes in with a 
Ron Paul styled rhetoric and then governs in such a fashion that they become beloved. Is there any other American politician that people speak of fondly for decades and decades now in hindsight, whose, whose heroism and legacy seems to increase year after year other than Ron Paul? I'm not sure there is. Sorry, I'm appealing to your ego here. I'm doing it shamelessly. I don't care. You have an opportunity to be a hero. You have an opportunity to save the country. You have an opportunity to create a better world for your offspring. One that may die if you, if you fail in this moment. And you have an opportunity to be a hero and have a legacy as such. Go get it, man. Let me just take one minute to thank our sponsor for today's episode, and that is Expat Money Summit. They're an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikkel Thorup, who has been on the show. It's expatmoney.com with over 30 experts over a multi-day online event, which costs you nothing to register to attend. Uh, they are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. You can reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan, be safe haven, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. Ron Paul was just added to the lineup. Do not miss it. Again, register for free, expatmoneysummit.com. It is just one week away. Don't miss it. Less than a week, actually. Get on it right now expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Again, register for free at expatmoneysummit.com. The very concept of liberty is so anathema to the current left that there is really only one option for it at this point. It's either the Libertarian Party rises to the extent that it becomes a viable third party, or the GOP co-ops our ideology and rules in such a fashion that you can actually bring our ideas into reality. That's Those are your options. And to, to prove how correct I am in this assessment, look at the story arc or the rhetoric arc from Tulsi Gabbard former Democrat gun grabber who is now an independent who sounds like a constitutional conservative, more or less. In fact, so much so that today she put out a video. A lady who advocated vocally on behalf of gun bans. And now, check this out. We see Democratic leaders in Washington continue to push more authoritarian-like policies who are using law enforcement agencies, weaponizing them to go after political opponents, targeting law-abiding Americans as extremists and domestic terrorists for committing the offense of opposing the agenda of those in power, we realize that our right to bear arms is the deterrent our founders intended to push back against this threat of government tyranny, this abuse of power. We see democratically. Quite the change in tune, huh? And, you know, I would love to believe that it's 100% sincere, and, and maybe it is. 
I mean, there, certainly there have been millions of Americans over the past two years who have realized the true value of the Second Amendment, who are no longer thinking it's about hunting. <laughs> so there's a chance. You know, I'm, I'm too jaded to believe for sure that Tulsi has seen the light on gun rights and has fully come into our camp, but it's not impossible. I've met her. She seems like a very nice and honorable woman. I spoke to her for an extended period. She seems to be like a very, very nice person. So hopefully, obviously time will tell. I have no idea what's in Tulsi's heart. And I hope that I am proven wrong, I guess, in my skepticism of her. But the the overarching point is that that rhetoric, like say she is uh, focus grouping it to come to these sort of conclusions as to what she should be talking about. Well, okay. That means it works. That means it sells. That means that the American electorate is looking for candidates like that. And I think that's probably the truth of the matter is that it is a focus grouped pivot because the tyranny has gotten to be so extreme that those that were, I guess, moderates or open to the idea of certain guns being banned are starting to reflect on those ideas, starting to come to the more libertarian viewpoint that, hey, we have guns for a good reason, man. <laughs> we are ruled by lunatics and we have to have these things. It's no longer an option. And I think that that's a reason for tremendous hope, but it's up to the political class or the, the fledgling political class, the people that want to rule over us to realize that there is a huge market demand for politicians that will not just give rhetoric on these topics, but rather deliver on their goddamn promises and allow us to defend ourselves, to stop looking at us as if we are children, but rather to honor our adult desires to be able to work and look after ourselves and defend ourselves and our families. Seems like a very basic ask. And yet for a while there, it seemed as if it was not a very appealing message to run on. I think that shift is upon us where it's not as if 100% or even 70% of the American people want that. But I think that it is close enough to being a majority of the electorate where you can run on that platform now. You can run on a hardcore libertarian platform and get elected. You don't have to run on the LP ticket but you would be making a catastrophic mistake not to be co-opting our belief system. Okay? That's my thesis. That's my pitch to you. I'm giving you our ideas. Okay? Free of charge. All I ask is that I get to be free at some point in my lifetime. How nice of me, right? There's a lot of self-interest in this pitch. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think we have time to be arguing over partisan labels and to be concerned with, well, I'd rather see the Libertarian Party rise up and be a viable third party because otherwise I don't think the GOP will ever do what we want. Probably so. However, they have an opportunity. 
Their base wants to be free to some extent too. You can deliver on it now, or you can continue to be fucking horrifically terrible at your jobs, and then we'll rise up and we will take everything from you. You choose, okay? That's how I view this. Because I'm not dealing with you guys anymore if you're going to continue on this path. And I don't think your base will either. You can't just run on. The Democrats are commie lunatics. So vote for us even though we're socialist lunatics. The answer to both of you is get fucked. No thanks. Not going to have my support ever. In fact, I will gladly see either of you lose because of my vote for a Libertarian Party candidate. Because either way, you're not getting me closer to what I want to see in the world. You're not. But you have an opportunity to actually do that. So do it. Fucking do it. Okay? <laughs> I don't have any more time. I don't have any time left to play these games with you motherfuckers. You gotta deliver. For the sake of you and your family deliver. Forget me. Right? Am I crazy here? Do you not see the death of the, do of the dollar coming? Do you not see the, the neocon and the neoliberal influence on the very probable World War III path that we're on right now? Do you want to have nukes fly before you fucking come to your senses? Or could you just hear me now and say, yeah, he's probably right. I'm going to actually act with courage. It seems like such a fucking reasonable ass. Just do it. <laughs> Sorry, it's not a very professional pitch. I'm just being I'm just being real with you guys. Like at some point, you have to just do it. Do the right thing for your own sake. The reason that this is such a special moment is because it's politically palatable for once. I think in the 90s, you wouldn't have had a chance. Even in the early 2000s or the mid 2000s, late 2000s, early teens or whatever they're called. <laughs> the ones, uh, you probably wouldn't have had a chance at winning running on this platform. But thanks to the Ron Paul campaigns in 08 and 12, and now thanks to the Trump win in 2016, there is a huge market demand for a populist, right, libertarian-leaning message. All you have to do is be, do I want to defend the dollar and bring the budget into balance and hopefully reduce it? Okay, you've ran on that for my entire life. You haven't ever delivered, which is why you're consistently losing. Okay, so just deliver on that. All right, well, what about anti-war? It used to be very popular amongst the conservative base to have endless wars and to support every war, and it was your patriotic duty. It is no longer the case. The Republicans of probably any political party have had the biggest shift when it comes to this, this view. They don't want endless wars. They see what his, it has done to their relatives, their kids. They don't want it anymore. Awesome. You get to say fuck you to the military industrial complex and actually bring peace to your people. Awesome, right? Pretty easy. Free speech. My God. The, traje the trajectory of speech in this country is so concerning. And Obviously, there's there's many aspects to it, but you have the the cancel culture, which even on the left, people hate it. They hate it. It is so overbearing 
and so concerning. I mean, you can't get a job because of a tweet from a decade ago. Like, no one wants to live like this. You have an opportunity to bring about a culture shift as well as a governance shift that can honor our God-given right to have an opinion and to vocalize it. And I'm not saying you have to go in there and regulate big tech. I'm saying you have to go in there and at least rhetorically defend speech rights and fight viciously against cancel culture. Viciously. And you do have an opportunity when it comes to ESG and fighting back against that. Because I think what they're doing is criminal. And let me explain real quick, because I, I don't know if I've ever made this point explicit. ESG, environmental social governance, I have a litany of episodes in the past that you can go watch if you guys uh, miss those and you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Sorry, I can't give you the whole uh, backdrop on it again, because I'm sure the majority of you are now privy. But essentially the way ESG works is it makes it impossible for competitors. It's an anti-competitive framework. It makes it so that there is no opportunity for a competitor to rise up to provide what is a sincere market demand. So anytime you see something like that, where there's a, a real market demand, but for some reason there's no supply coming to meet it, you have to ask yourself why. And I think anyone will acknowledge the market demand is real. Like it, it's definitely there. You see all of these uh, startups, you see Parler, you see True Social, like there's a litany of examples, uh, a gab, there's a litany of examples of companies that are trying, but failing. And so why? Well, ESG. So let me break down exactly what transpired with Elon Musk. Real quick, I want to thank our other sponsor. Today, I want to tell you about an opportunity to jump headfirst into the liberty movement and make a real impact. Young Americans for Liberty is currently recruiting campaign staff to help elect pro-liberty candidates across the country. These hardcore candidates are dedicated to fighting for federal gun nullification, defend the guard and criminal justice reform, and many other hardcore liberty policies. If you are ready to be part of the fight, stand up against the establishment and make a real change in 2022, you can join one of these campaigns from now through November 8th. That's just three days from now. Last opportunity to do it. Gas is completely covered. Housing is fully provided. And you'll be compensated a total of $2,800 a month for your work on the campaign campaign trail. Go to whyaliberty.org forward slash Liberty Lock Pod to apply and make a real change in this country today. Again, that's whyaliberty.org forward slash Liberty Lock Pod. The link will be in the description if you're interested in signing up. You got three days left. Get on it. Well, first, let's, let's go back a couple years to Parler. So Parler rises up. I don't really love Parler. I'm not advocating on their behalf, but what was done to them was criminal. You have them rise up as an alleged free speech alternative. And then because of Donald Trump's banning and because of January 6th, I think it was right after January 6th, it may have been prior, I can't remember. Uh, there was a push to get them to have the same sense censorship uh, protocols as say Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And they refused. And I think because they were unwilling to ban some people that were like involved in January 6th, basically Amazon, Amazon web services stepped in and they shut down the servers for Parler, which crippled them because obviously any social media platform, like the whole 
the whole goal, the like the the victory level endpoint is that you get such widespread adoption that everyone wants to be on there. Well, if you're taken offline, even for a couple of weeks, which I think it was like a month for them, but maybe it was only a couple of weeks. Regardless, that is backbreaking. And because of what Amazon did, which was a clear anti-competitive uh, ma maneuver, it broke their back. So that's one example. So why did Amazon do that? Could it be that they have a very cozy relationship with the government? Should you, as a conservative or Republican politician, be looking into that? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. I'm not going to allow you to think that one through. Yes. You need to look into it. All right. So Elon is like, there's this huge market demand for free speech. Elon is, at least in rhetorically, he's saying, yes, I, I agree with you guys. I believe uh, open dialogue is vital for a functioning society. I am, instead of building my own, I'm going to acquire Twitter for $54 billion. It's like, I don't know if that's a great investment, but that was what he wanted to do. So I'm wishing him well, right? So he comes in and he says, I'm going to buy it. And they go, mm, <laughs> not so fast. So first off, you have DOJ that's been repeatedly reported that they are looking into Elon's acquisition. Um, on, on a litany of fronts. They want to have DHS look into the the capital that he used to acquire it, see if there's any sort of foreign influence, even though he's a foreigner. So I, you know, like simultaneously, you got TikTok, which is like a direct spying tool for the CCP. And they're like, yeah, we'll let that one go. But Twitter, oh my goodness, how dare you? So you have DOJ that's looking into Elon's acquisition. Then you have the, uh, What's it called? Anti the ADL, Anti-Defamation League, comes out saying we're very concerned about his refusal to, you know, maintain or increase the uh, the rules against hate speech, blah, blah, blah. Anti-Semitism through the roof, use of the N-word through the roof. This is all evil. We need government regulations. That's always the end goal with all of this is that they want speech to be directly suppressed and if they can't do it directly because of our bill of rights which makes that illegal well then they'll find another avenue to still get get the job done but they don't have the because of the bill of rights and because of the first amendment they they have to circumvent it somehow so what do they do they turn to the advertisers because as of today the vast majority of revenue that Twitter brings in is through advertisers. Who are those advertisers? Well, those advertisers are big businesses. So Elon acquires Twitter and he realizes that if it's still a publicly traded company, he's going to be punished under ESG guidance if he doesn't maintain the censorship mechanisms. So he says, I'm going to take it private. I'm going to take it private so that then I can reduce censorship. But then he realizes Maybe he realized before the purchase. I don't know. But he certainly knows now that because his ad revenue is the primary way that his company stays afloat or, or turns a profit, which it's not turning a profit right now, he is at the mercy of the advertisers. So whatever the advertisers demand, he's going to be forced to do. So what are the activist groups? Knowing this, they put out an open letter declaring to the 20 biggest advertisers, which are all publicly traded companies, Ford and Coca-Cola and blah, blah, blah that 
you have to increase or at very minimum maintain the current censorship on Twitter or we will stop advertising with you. Or they tell the advertisers to say this. I don't know if all the advertisers have said it yet, but it's probably coming because once again, root of all evils when it comes to the corporate world right now, ESG dictates that their ESG scores are not just predicated on their own behaviors, but rather everyone they do business with. As, I, as I've described it, it's this six degrees of Alex Jones type deal where same, same concept of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where if you're associated to someone who's considered unsavory, say Alex Jones or Elon Musk now, then your ESG score can take a hit for that. So this is, this is how they get around First Amendment protections by just saying, hey, it's private businesses making their own decision, man. It's all good. Is it? Is it all good? Because all of these big businesses have relationships with the government. The government wants to see censorship so that they can continue to have narrative control. So they just, it's a workaround. It's pretty simple when you, when you like, it's, it's complicated, but like once you process it, once you really fully grasp it, you see it everywhere. It's so obvious. It's like, this is how they're doing it. This is why cancel culture, which began as a bottom-up, you know, cultural Marxist revolution, essentially, where the cancel mobs come for you and they can beat their chest and they can protest. But like, at the end of the day, they don't really have much power, right? Well, now they fucking do. Now they got a lot of power because the bottom-down control is to have big business implement their will and coincidentally their will aligns almost identically with the preferences of the federal government should you oppose that i would highly recommend that you do highly recommend that you do especially if you don't like you know having your job jeopardized because you aren't appropriately woke because that's really where we're at now is that if you aren't down with the entire neoliberal agenda, like say you came out in opposition to the Ukraine war, Russia-Ukraine war, right now, do you think that that would be a palatable opinion to have if you worked for a Fortune 500 company? If you worked for Goldman Sachs, do you think you'd be working there much longer? Probably not. Is that a healthy formulation for society where someone who's against a proxy war can't vocalize that opinion? Definitely not. That is definitely not a good formula formulation for civilization, much less preventing a nuclear holocaust. So this has to be defeated. It has to be, I mean, in order to defeat it, you have to have diagnosed it properly. You have to understand it intimately. I know it's complicated to some extent, but as long as you can grasp it, that means that you can express it to someone else who can also grasp it, and this idea can spread. It's going to be a well-known thing at some point. It's up to us how quickly people grasp what, what I'm trying to get across. Is that ESG is a Trojan horse for the neoliberal globalist agenda. It is. I know I sound crazy. <laughs> Every time I say it, I still feel like I, I still feel kind of crazy just stating it bluntly, but it's the truth. 
it, it, it wears the facade, it wears the mask of looking after the environment and social justice and blah, blah, blah. But the at the end of the day, what it really amounts to is oligarchical, fascistic control of your entire life. That's the truth. And until until we defeat that, we are fighting a terrible uphill battle. And any sort of defense of big business is completely counterproductive. Obviously, unless it's a private business or a newfound private business like Twitter, if they were to come out with uh, reduced censorship and Twitter Blue, where he's trying to charge $8 for if you want to be verified, uh, $8 per month subscription fee. Well, all of that is, in my view, a very, very common sense approach to getting off of the treadmill of advertiser control of your business decisions, because all of those advertisers are still under ESG control, AKA through a couple of dots through federal government control, that the only way you can actually be a big business and be private and control your own shit is to not be reliant on any ESG businesses. You have to be truly independent. You have to basically get the connection between the consumer, the end user, and the provider, Twitter. You have to have that connection made. And the only way you, re you reconnect is by having the consumer become the actual customer as opposed to the product. Because for as long as the internet has been around and social media specifically, the way it has worked is it's free, but you pay with your fucking life. So you can pay $8 a month or you can continue to be a slave. I will gladly pay $8 a month to be able to speak my mind and arguably save humanity from World War III. I, I know that sounds like an extreme statement, but I genuinely believe like if we don't have a social media platform that delivers on its promise of reduced censorship and open dialogue, then we are completely at the mercy of the federal government's control of narrative. And we have to break free of that. We have to. It's everything. Right now, it is everything. And if we can't talk about it openly, well, then the stranglehold of ESG will only tighten. And it'll become much more daunting and virtually impossible for us to break free without a catastrophic either collapse of the economy or collapse of civilization itself. So while we still have the ability to speak freely to some extent, that's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm trying to get this message out here to as many of you as possible. And hopefully you can help me get this message to more people so that they can understand what we're, what we're up against. Because as I've stated many times, it's complicated, but it's not incomprehensible. Like you can get it. You can wrap your head around this. And once you have, you have an opportunity to fight back and to defeat these lunatics that are trying to control every aspect of your life and bring about nuclear war. No, thanks. I don't really want that. So there you have it. Side note that's kind of unrelated, but the Biden administration appears to be on the outs with the DNC, uh, Biden specifically. 
the reason I say this is because in the past 24 hours, not just CNN, but the New York Times came out and fact-checked the Biden administration, specifically taking him down when it came to his claims about his performance economically. And I'm not going to go into the details of it. I'm not going to read it to you, but, you know, Biden was, he was like bragging, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre was bragging about the increase in social security payments, you know, the percentage increase, even though social security payments are tied to CPI. And the reason that they got record increases in payments is because inflation was at a record high and, you know, in my lifetime. So they were caught red-handed and, but I mean, that doesn't matter. Like just because they were caught red-handed doesn't mean that the, you know, CNNs and New York times of the world, the cathedral operatives would normally drag him, but they did. And anytime that something like that happens, you have to pay attention to it. And I think that's a big shift. I think that they have acknowledged that they're probably going to get wiped in the midterms. And I think that they're getting wiped in the midterms, obviously, because Biden is a horrifically terrible president with an obvious brain injury. And so they're, they're shifting. And I, I think that you should, I just wanted to mention it to you guys to make sure that you're aware. I think that there will be a contender for the 2024 presidency under the Democrat ticket. That is not Joe Biden. It's a prediction. I could be wrong, but this is this is such an anomaly that I think it would be a mistake not to at least address it a little bit, not to point it out to you guys. Like it looks highly probable that they are informing Joe Biden, we will not carry water for you, friend. <laughs> we we want you out. And I don't think it's gonna be Kamala either because she's reviled across, like across the board. So I'm not sure who. I mean, a lot of people are produce, uh, predicting Gavin Newsom, which would be hell for me because I fled California to Florida to get away from that monster. So if he tried to become the president and once again control my life, I don't know if I could stay here anymore. I'd probably have to leave the country. So let's pray that's not the uh, preferred candidate to replace Biden. But keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. Someone's coming. I don't know if it's The Rock or Oprah or Pete Buttigieg or who they're going to run, but it's I don't think it's going to be Biden. We'll see. Anyways, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment, subscribe. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. Oh, if you want to get a Liberty Lockdown shirt, go to toplobster.com. I have Laura Logan coming up in about a week. And I have Joseph Ladapo at the end of this month, the uh, Surgeon General for Florida. So don't miss either of those. And still trying to reschedule with Alex Jones. We'll see. Love you guys. Talk soon. Before we get out of here, I want to thank you guys for continuing to leave those five-star reviews over on Apple Podcasts. We are approaching 500 five-star reviews. Incredible support you guys are showing me. Thank you so much. Sovereign Sandy says, "My oh, critical info, my favorite podcast. It drops sometimes painful, but necessary truth bombs in every episode about politics, the economy, the COVID pandemic response, ESG, and current events from a libertarian perspective. The host, Clint Russell, is intelligent, passionate, sincere, and trustworthy. Everyone would benefit from listening to this podcast. Well, thank you so much, Sovereign Sandy. I agree. Everyone would benefit. I don't know if I agree about all those other accolades you gave me, but I do appreciate it nonetheless. Raptor Two Extreme says liberty and freedom. As a fellow podcaster at wfreedomnexus.com, I appreciate the candidness of the topics brought up. And while I don't always agree, well, why not? What's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't always agree with all the people and topics. It is good to hear alternate positions. Highly recommend episode 154 with Andrew of Nomad Capitalist. I agree. And make sure you sign up for 
their expat money summit. It's going to be awesome. Next up, we got Kristen Amron says, woman in your audience. Here's at least one. I'm a stay-at-home mom, former Republican. I'm putting myself through a libertarian re-education. Love your show. Well, that's awesome. I, I'm so glad I can help you on that journey. And uh, and welcome. Welcome to, welcome to the fight. The real one, in my opinion. 2006 for Life says five stars. Word. Read case war facts sacks. I don't know what that is, but I'll Google it. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. Obviously, if you want to support my work in a more financial fashion, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com where once a month I do an AMA where you get to come in on stream with me. And I'll be doing another one of those in a couple of weeks here. So make sure you do that. Again, libertylockdown.locals.com. We're out. <music>